I have married personally probably close to 20,000 couples. Uh, some of those couples I've married two and three and four times. Some of those couples I have married to each other more than once. This is Newcastle County Executive Matt Meyer welcoming you to Pod County, the first podcast by the first county in the first state, bringing you news and stories you did not know directly from the people in the places where we live, work, and play. Hello and welcome to the first Pod County, Newcastle County podcast. I am your host, Kyle Grantham, and I'm joined here with our intern, Sam. How's it going? A little background, I am, I am not a Delaware native. I am originally from Maryland, but it, but like many people in this fine first state, a Delaware transplant, who is happy to call myself a Delawarean now, I had four and some years at the News Journal here in Delaware. It's what brought me to the first state uh, before coming over here to the county government and taking over NCC-TV, where we try to tell stories in video form of interesting people in the county and county events and try to educate people on different programs we have going on here. And that's really the focus of this, this podcast, to tell the stories of people here in Newcastle County that aren't getting told and kind of bring you some of the stories of what goes on in government and the people who you have elected to lead and who work here in the county. And, and this is about stories. And we've got some great stories today out of our first podcast guest, Ken Bolden, the clerk of the peace. Ken's a guy that everybody in this office, when we were first planning this, who would be a good person to interview? And, and Ken Bolden. That name just kept coming up. I'll be honest, I had no idea what a clerk of the piece was or what they did and how on earth this would be interesting. But I was very pleasantly surprised to come through it. Sam, you listened to it a few times to do our, our fact check that we'll get into at the end of the episode. But why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself and kind of your, uh, your thoughts on this? Yeah, uh, my name is Sam Kamech. I grew up in southeast Pennsylvania. Um, you guys might know it as the Wedge, right on the Delaware-Maryland border. Uh, my dad worked at UD for a really long time, um, so I kind of gr- I, I lived in Pennsylvania, but I pretty much grew up in Delaware. Um, and uh, most of my life, I was a baseball player. Uh, played Division One college baseball at Winthrop University, which is in South Carolina. Um, Got an opportunity to play pro ball, um, but an elbow injury cut that dream short pretty quickly. But uh, so, yeah, I just reevaluated things and kind of looked at what my second passion would be uh, behind baseball, and it was uh, filmmaking. So uh, last two years I've been at uh, Wilmington University up here in northern Delaware. And, yeah, just just been trying to – I guess I'm an aspiring videographer, uh, filmmaker – uh, I got a few passion projects uh, that I'm working on that are hopefully releasing next year. So, uh, yeah, got a couple things in the works. And with that, <laughs> we have a fire drill. So this is good. This is going in the cut. Uh, we'll we'll be back uh, after this brief, really loud noise. Okay, we're back from the fire drill. The building, the county government did not burn down. I'm sure much of the disappointment of some listeners. Apparently, all the alarms worked except one, so that's that's good. That's good. That's up from last time. <laughs> we're we're getting better. Uh, they definitely worked in here because that was loud and bright. Yeah. So that's good. But thought I broke something. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right as you finished your thought. <laughs> yeah. It was a screeching noise. Um, but anyway, back back to the podcast. Uh, 
I, I think we've I think we've led this in. I think we've hyped this pretty <laughs> sufficiently. Um, you know, as skeptical as you might be about a government podcast, I think you'll be uh, pleasantly surprised at, at the stories we've got uh, to come and the stories that we've got here. And uh, please enjoy our first podcast with Ken Bolden. Welcome to welcome to Pod County. Welcome to the county's podcast. Uh, our first official guest on on this thing. I'm honored, uh, and we're we're honored to have you in here. Before we dive into what a clerk of the peace is and what you do on a day to day basis, can you tell me a little bit about your background, how you wound up in county government? We have a very similar background. Um, my um, college training and university training was also in broadcasting, radio, and television production. And uh, I was an adjunct professor at Wilmington University and uh, taught journalism and writing and broadcasting, radio and television. So this kind of thing is near and dear to my heart. And it was that sort of background that was one of the key things that brought me to county government because uh, when we switched over from the levy court system and went to the um, county executive and council form of government, I was um, one of the first um, people that was part of that transition team. I was the first PIO public information officer for Newcastle County, which meant that I did everything from write speeches for the county executive service, the press liaison, not just for the um, county executive, but also for council at the same time. In addition, I was also the PIO for the county police department. Later, uh, the county police department uh, brought on their own public information officer because there's a whole different set of rules when you're dealing with public safety issues. But um, I stayed on as the PIO and then transitioned to another post, uh, the county complaints officer, which meant that I founded the complaints office and uh, helped rewrite a lot of the code that uh, then brought forward the, uh, so many changes such as the inspectors that we now have in and the enforcement efforts that include everything from landlord-tenant issues to personal private property issues and things of that nature. There came a time uh, through that whole transition um, that uh, in, my, in my county government service, and I've had more than county government service. When I got out of the military, which is where I got a lot of my training, um, I started working for uh, Governor Charles Terry, which was probably before you were born. But uh, having said that, uh, it was a great start. Then after that, I went over, after working state government, went to the county and uh, worked through uh, a, a number of county executives, starting with um, Al Slawick. Um, having, having stayed there for quite a number of years, then uh, going through a number of positions such as the public information officer to county complaints officer to um, one of the senior policy coordinators and advisors to the county executive. Um, from there, I uh, transitioned to working over into the Department of Justice for the um, Attorney General and Secretary of Transportation between, and then came back to county government. So my service with the county government actually started after a number of years with the state. and. It started in the county in 1972, so I am one of the longest tenured employees in Newcastle County. I think, you know, for me, I came into county government, uh, you know, with 10 years in journalism, not really 
you know, having a great idea of what the county government does to, to begin with. But, um, you know, even then being in county government for 18 months, I, I still am pretty vague on what a lot of the row offices do. I, I get things here and there as we have different initiatives go through. But what, tell me what the clerk of the piece, what your roles and responsibilities are. Now, you mentioned row officers, and I'm guessing you probably don't even know where or how we got that name. I, no, I have no idea. Well, in if you're looking back uh, historically, um, Delaware being the first state, uh, have some of the oldest uh, elected offices in the nation. And uh, of those elected offices and office holders are the things that you just called the row officers. We are the only state that have row officers. And where that whole term came from is that... Um, for hundreds of years, those offices were probably some of the most important in county government because they did the people's business from day to day. And their offices in the county seat, whether it had been in Old Newcastle or in Wilmington, uh, which is where predominantly we still are, uh, those offices have, were traditionally in a row. Uh, starting with the senior uh, office holder, and, and then all those offices would be in a row. So when someone came in to the county seat to do business, the people they were most likely want to do business was with were all situated in a row. So it would uh, make it easier for them to do business with their county government. So we became row officers. So when people now say, where did you get that crazy name? Uh, the people sort of gave us that name. And it was a name that uh, was attached to where we were physically located. Uh, no matter which floor we were on or in which building we were in, our offices were in a row. So that stuck, and it stuck for decades and decades. So we are still row officers. One of the oldest of those row officers is the clerk of the peace. It's had a different, a variety of different names. We used to be court clerks, county clerks. Uh, clerk of uh, all different types of courts and things of that nature. But over time, um, in an effort to consolidate um, county government, what we did in the state of Delaware is that, unlike other states where if, if you want a marriage license, you go to a court clerk or a county clerk um, in whatever jurisdiction you're in, then if you wanted a civil marriage ceremony, you would go to a justice of the peace to have that done. Uh, way back when, and uh, as far back as uh, maybe 150, 200 years ago, Delaware decided they were going to streamline its government and combine the two offices. So we have clerk of the peace. Mm. So constitutionally, we really had the powers of both offices. When they swear us in, they give us a black robe, they call us your honor. My staff handles all the paperwork, issues licenses, and maintains all the marriage records. And I have the, uh, consti I have the power under the state constitution and state law to actually perform and solemnize the marriages. So that's how you get clerk of the peace. We are the only state in the entire nation that has clerks of the peace. And that's brought about some very interesting things because a lot of people outside of Delaware had no idea in the world even what the clerk of the peace is. A number of years ago, I'm, I'm very active in NACO and a lot of other national organizations on their boards and 
directors and things of that nature, but I was invited to go to Washington and speak to a, a delegation of um, uh, congressmen, senators, uh, people from the White House, and other people to talk about marriage trends. Now, this is as far back as uh, starting in around the year 2000. And uh, I was uh, speaking at this luncheon at a large hotel right outside the Capitol. And the gentleman that came up said, you're our keynote speaker. I said, yes, I'm honored to be here. He said, tell me a little bit about you. He said, did they make a mistake here? It says, you're the clerk of the peace. He says, I, I don't have a clue. What's the clerk of the peace? I just gave him the same explanation that I gave you. And he said to me, so let me get straight. He says, you're the only state and nation that even has clerks of the peace? I said, correct. We have one for each county. And I said, and of the three, by tenure, I'm the senior clerk. He said, that's great. So it came time for him to introduce me. Now, this is, there's over 300 people at this luncheon, senators, congressmen, uh, their staffs, people from the White House. And they he introduced me as Ken Bolden, the senior clerk of the peace for the United States of America. <laughs> the entire room stood up and applauded. They had no idea. That's funny. No idea at, at all what I did. But it was a very impressive title. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and being, of course, the first state, uh, I guess it makes sense to, to be just unique in our, our county officer positions as well. Well, um, just about every other county in, um, in the United States has recorders and registers and clerks and things of that nature that handle everything from, you know, the wills and the deeds and the sheriff's departments, which surprisingly enough, most just about every other jurisdiction across the country, their sheriffs um, are law enforcement officers. They have, they have the role that our Newcastle County Police Departments do. But um, the clerks of the peace, we're the only ones out there Mm -hmm. that do what we do. And we've done a lot of different things over the years. We used to run school board elections uh, for all the school districts in the state of, uh, in Newcastle County. My counterparts did the same thing in Kenton, Sussex. We issued permits. Uh, we regulated pawnbrokers and precious metal dealers. We, we it, it, One time, way back, we even did things like dog licenses. Uh, we ran auctions. I mean, everything. Even did uh, waivers and special permits for for highways. Now, the only thing we do is we focus on marriages. So we are, in essence, the marriage bureaus, and it even references us as the marriage bureaus in the state code now. So if somebody wants to get married in Delaware, they have to come to the clerk of the peace first. They have to come to a clerk of the peace because we issue a state marriage license, and that license that we give them when we do issue it to them is good anywhere in the state of Delaware. So you come in and you get your marriage license, and then you have your choice of returning to our, our office and actually having a civil marriage ceremony or leaving with that license and going out and have your ceremony performed elsewhere. And if you, I mean, this is this is potentially a dumb question, but if you got married somewhere else, you come to Delaware, the marriage license applies the same way. I, mean, I guess we're past that, right? Oh yeah, we have a lot of reciprocity agreements um, with within the United States and other regions and in a lot of countries, so that when you're married uh, in any other state or any other country, if it is a lawful marriage uh, under the terms of that jurisdiction. As long as 
there are not huge differences in what their codes are compared to what ours. We honor those ceremonies. So I was married in British Columbia, Canada, uh, back in 2012. So I, I'm I'm good. You're, well, I'm not saying you're good, but you're married. <laughs> All right, that's for sure. Good to know. Good to know. The IRS will be happy to know that because that's how we've been you, filing. You it. are you are legally married. Good. Uh, so so you perform uh, marriage ceremonies. That is, that is the bulk of the work of the clerk of the pieces office. How how many people are in the office? Well, we have an administrative staff of about a half dozen people. And in addition to that, I have deputies that actually help me because of the volume that we deal with, do some of the ceremonies. And uh, But we don't do just ceremonies and issue licenses. Um, when people choose to unfortunately terminate a marriage and go through the family court process, the very first paper that they file with the court is proof that they are in fact married to the person they want to divorce from. Mm. So on one side of our reception area, we have a couple who's just bubbling and can't wait to, to, to run in the office and get their license. And across the other side of the reception area, we have people who are coming in to get copies of their marriage records to take across the hall to have we do the paperwork and notarize and things of that nature and do some certifications so they can go over to family court and start the divorce process. What is that dichotomy like to see that? And I mean, how, how much time in the office is like that where you, you kind of have these separate polar sides right next to each other? Daily. Wow. Daily. Now, the good news is, is that... Um, even though marriages are on the decline, not just in Delaware, but all across the United States, the divorces are also on the decline. Fewer percentage of people to get divorced. And in Delaware, uh, we've gone through a process where we were one of the first states to have a no-fault divorce, which means you don't have to go in and prove that the other person is, is vile and, and terrible and did all these terrible things, and that's why you want the divorce. It's a no-fault divorce. You want a divorce, you're going to get a divorce in Delaware. You don't have to say why. It doesn't matter. If for any reason you want that divorce, you file the papers, you go through the process, and you get a divorce. I get, you know, it's... Uh, Growing up, you know, as as a as an early millennial, and, you know, these kind of things don't even come as like a consideration for me. I wouldn't even think about that. You know, I got married six years ago, and you know, if something happened and we decided it didn't work, I I wouldn't even think that I needed to prove something, right? But I'm I'm sure there was a time in this country because you know marriage was seen as such a thing that there was such an unbreakable. You know, if you think back to the '50s, right, the the stigma of divorce. Um, that that would even be a thing. Uh, when when did Delaware move to that no-fault system? Well, in, in my office, um, we maintain original marriage records dating back to 1900. Wow. So we still have those old books that sometimes we have to go back to. We also cooperate with a number of law enforcement agencies, including those in the federal government, which I can talk about later as to why it's so important that we do those things. But no-fault divorces came uh, came to Delaware about uh, 25, 30 years ago. Mm. And um, then that trend continued uh, elsewhere across the United States. So now it's pretty much the norm. Mm. The only time those other parts come in that are sort of unpleasant and nasty is when you're talking about the division of property and personal property sure. and things of that nature. Sure. And I'm sure custody probably has a... Yeah, role. but 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 that's even become a lot more clear hmm. because uh, the courts have generally ruled that uh, if, if at all possible, 
what the courts want to grant is joint custody so that the children has still have the influences and access to both parents and that uh, they, they try to uh, figure out who's going to be the best primary caregiver for those children. And the truth is, it's not really what the parents want, what is best for those children or that child, and that's how the decision is made. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, talking about that dichotomy again, I mean, w- what's the shortest distance you've seen between you know the happy side and the not happy side of the counter? I mean, is it has it oh, been we, like I would say has it no. been like Vegas where it's just like you sign and like yeah maybe not or uh, a weekend? Wow. Uh, I, I did a um, I did a marriage ceremony at a um, um, very popular, very large, very expensive country club in Delaware, in Newcastle County. One of the largest, um, most expensive weddings I had ever seen. Uh, they didn't have a dance band. They had an orchestra. Um, they didn't have a cocktail bar. There was champagne bottles of Dom Perignon everywhere. Um, there wasn't a limousine for the bride and groom. There were limousines everywhere. Uh, I did the ceremony on a Saturday. Uh, the bride's father um, with her came into my office to find out what they had to do to undo that wedding on Monday morning. Wow. What, now, what, what about time was this? What about time? Like, like, uh, like year? Like when, how long ago? Mm, 15 years ago or so. So, I mean, not that long no, ago. No, not at all. Wow. And, you know, I can remember the uh, the groom, as we were signing the paper ahead of time, I you know, I could tell he was uh, had reservations, and I said, "You know, partner, this is this is a forever kind of thing. Are you sure you want to do this?" And um, that's when the father of the bride came in and said, "Oh, he's going to do it! Wow! And he will marry her, and he will marry her today." So we're talking 2003, and and that sounds pretty shotgun wedding to me. Well, it uh, no, not really shotgun because it took a lot of planning. Yeah, true. To put that whole reception and wedding together, it was one of the largest I had ever seen. But there were obviously conversations uh, following that ceremony that took place between the two families when uh, the father of the bride brought his crying daughter in there and said, now what do we do to undo this mess? My goodness. that. So, I mean, for you personally, like how does that... I mean, have you done it so long and you've seen so much that it doesn't really have an effect anymore? You just go and you start processing the paperwork? Or, I mean, like, how does it hit you? Well, any, anybody who those type situations don't affect shouldn't be in the job. Uh, because um, to give you a, a, some sort of sense and background as to how, how all this works and the volume, I have married personally, personally, probably close to 20,000 couples. Uh, some of those couples I've married two and three and four times to different people. Some of those couples I have married to each other more than once. But uh, we try to make every single ceremony uh, special in some way so that that couple, for that moment they're standing before me being married, um, actually believe, and we want them to believe, that that's the most important ceremony that I've ever done in my life. And so I'm sure then, like you said, I mean, that does have an impact on you when you see them. It does have an impact on me because uh, I get Christmas cards every year from people who I, I got to be honest with you, I don't remember they send me 
pictures of them, of their babies, of, of their children, and now, you know, their children are having children are coming in to bring, uh, um, you know, get licenses for them, and uh, so we become part of the family. I have, I have in my office albums filled with literally thousands of pictures that people have sent me just saying, thought you would want, the picture, would want a picture of our wedding because obviously it was very special to you and us and we want you to have this. That's great. That's great. So you mentioned, you mentioned you've seen a, a few repeat customers. Absolutely. How many would you say, like a single individual, the number of times you've, you've had? Well, one, one, one bride in particular um, is simply, but she's a serial bride. Um, I married her three times to three different men in two years. Wow. Wow. And, uh, and, and clearly good service. She kept coming back. She loved weddings. She loved the whole, she got wrapped up in the whole thing of just having a marriage, getting married, the ceremonies, the receptions, the honeymoon. And then when that excitement passed, she just needed that in her life again. Well, she needed it at least three times that I'm familiar with. You know, I, I, I can kind of get that. I mean, I can vaguely remember my wedding. You know, it's such a crazy, fast-paced day, um, you know, especially, you know, when we're doing it out on the West Coast. You know, you're, you've been traveling, you're, you're running through all the stuff, and then, you know, it's over, and then you go and go on this trip, and then you come back, and then it's real world again. And I can totally see wanting to go back to that because I would love to go, now that I am married, have a, have a wedding to my wife again that's just, you know, a... I can I can savor it. It's not new. We we do a lot of renewals um, for couples on their tenth, their twenty fifth, fiftieth, seventy fifth wedding anniversary. Wow, that, and they're my favorite ones to do, um, but they don't always go as planned. I remember one where uh, two two sisters who were adults came in and said, "We would like your help," and I said, "What?" And they said. Mom and Dad are celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. We're going to take them to dinner. And we would like you to just show up. It's going to be just family. We'd like you to show up and renew their vows. Can you do that? I said, absolutely. I showed up, and I can't tell you the restaurant, but it was a packed dining room. Mm -hmm. it, they had the little side room. And uh, the... Um, I walked in and had the robe, and everybody was all ready to surprise mom and dad. And the uh, the mom, the um, of the two daughters, looked at me and she said, "Who are you?" And I introduced myself. She said, "What are you doing here?" I said, "I'm here because your daughters asked me to be here to surprise you to renew your vows on your 50th anniversary." She said, "Can I talk to you privately?" Oh no. I said, "Yes." We went out to the lobby. She said, take your robe off and go home. Oh, no. I said, why? She said, they should have told me they were going to do this. I said, well, they wanted to surprise you on this special day. She said, special day? She said, I've been lying to those girls for 50 years. She said, I should have never married him in the first place, and I'm sure as hell I'm not going to do it a second time. Oh, my God. I got my car, and I left. That is yeah. Okay. So, so coming into this, we heard that you had a lot of a lot of stories, and that is that was just one of many. We wow. do we do a lot of, for the lack of a better term, deathbed ceremonies, mm. where we go to either retirement communities or uh, hospice organizations. We'll get calls from the hospitals 
after terrible accidents where let's say a couple had a big wedding plan that was supposed to happen three weeks from now or a month from now, but there's been something happened, whether it be a terminal diagnosis or whatever, and um, that's his, his or her last wish. And uh, we go to their bedsides and uh, do the license work and do the ceremonies. And uh, they're tough, but we do those. We're at the hospital. We're at a hospital or a facility every month. They're mm. doing one or two. Wow. Um, in addition to that, um, I can remember when I first started this job. Um, within the first month I was on the job, I had a, a, um, a bride standing before me who was, uh, was, she was pregnant. She had on a white dress. She was very happy. And uh, halfway through the ceremony, I could see the excruciating pain on her face and oh, the no. terror as she looked down. And I looked down, and my shoes were wet. Oh, no. Her water broke. Oh, no. So we paused the ceremony. Um, our, our husband uh, put her in their car. Uh, and he said, you're coming too, aren't you? And I said, um... I guess. So I went to the hospital, and uh, in just as she was going through labor, getting just in moments before she delivered, I finished the ceremony and married them. Wow. Because it was important to them that they be married before the child was born. That was quick. Yeah. You got to be you gotta be on your toes. I've had, I've had um, couples um, get in fights in our office as to who's going to pay for the marriage license. I've had, I had one couple come in. They, came, they rode a bus to Wilmington to get their ceremony. And he said, can I talk to you privately? I said, yes. He said, how much is the license? Back then, the license was $20. Mm. He said, I don't have $20. He said, but this is really important. He said, can I uh, make installments, payments? Mm. And I said, well, there is no system where you can pay in installments. I said, but he told me their story. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'll I'll pay for the license. And uh, I'll get you married and you come back in here what how do you want to pay for this and he says i'll come back here every month and pay you five dollars for four months Mm. he did he never missed a payment wow that's awesome so i had that we've like i said we've had fights break out we're in the old days and i've changed this where you used to say and if anybody here can show just cause why they should not be wed speak now or forever hold your peace well i've learned that um, I don't do that anymore, not not in civil ceremonies in the office. If I go outside, I might. But uh, I've had melees break out in the office, you know, between the two families and sure. reasons why it shouldn't happen. I had a groom die of a heart attack because of the excitement and everything it was of, of him being married in my office. Because someone objected or just it just happened in the middle of the ceremony? It just happened. Wow. Went to the hospital to try to finish the ceremony. It was too late. Oh, my. I've had outside ceremonies where grandfathers and fathers of the bride had died at the ceremony. Oh, my. This, this, this has taken a very negative and morose turn. We're talking about death. Well, and now there's, there's also a, another side of it that some might perceive perceive as being negative, it turned out very, I can remember ceremony, and it wasn't that long ago, when um, during the ceremony in my office, and we, we can hold 20, 30 people in the room, the, a little boy in the back of the room, like he's in school, raised his hand. So I stopped, and I said, can I help you? I thought maybe you needed to use a restroom, or one day, and he said, can, am I allowed to ask a question? I said, of course you are. 
And I was, I thought I was going to be explaining to him what was happening. Mm -hmm. And what he said is he got up from his seat and walked up to the groom, mm. which was his father, and uh, said, why don't you love mommy and me anymore? Oh, God. And that sort of caught everybody off guard, obviously, including me. And then I looked down to license, realized it was a sec his second marriage. Mm. So we paused. And um, with the couple's permission, the young man, who had to be maybe eight years old, mm. nine years old, went in my office with me. We also took a walk and got something to eat and came back. They waited an hour and a half. But when we got back after talking, the young man stood as his father's best man. Wow. wow. And understood and was part of it. And it is things like that that uh, I'll never forget when I leave this job. Those moments uh, are very important. We're now, even in the office, uh, when we do civil ceremonies, there's children involved. Um, we include them. We include them in, in presentations, whether it be with rings and necklaces and gifts, or we, we invite them to, to say things or read things or say what's ever on their mind so that uh, they get it. They understand that the world is not a perfect place, but uh, you know, what they're witnessing and being part of has really nothing to do with uh, the love of their parent or parents to them that, you know, and that um, they are part of the change, and we try to have them be part of it and embrace it at least as much as they can for that moment. Sure. Wow. That's powerful. It is. It's the most unique uh, government office um, you can even imagine. People, in, in, for the most part, don't come in and complain about taxes and potholes and street lights and getting parking tickets and all this other thing. For the most part, people come in there on the most important day of their lives, either getting a marriage license or, or getting married. And uh, we have the privilege of being part of that. So um, arguably, we are probably the most popular office in government. I, I can imagine that. You know, it's I was kind of drifting back to that dichotomy thing, and it reminds me uh, back, I used to work in California. I worked in, in Sacramento back when Proposition 8 was overturned, mm -hmm. briefly, and then the decision was stayed, and I can remember being in the clerk's office there when, when same-sex couples came in thinking, you know, okay, this has been overturned, we can get married, and then them being told no, and, and then um, you know, the heterosexual couples there at the same time being handed... Um, you know, their certificates, their marriage certificates, and, and then being here and covering Delaware's legalization of same-sex marriage and seeing that, that community's elation for, for this, this equal right, I'm sure you've officiated several. Over 1,000 myself. Yeah. So what has it been like, because you've been around long enough to see the pre and post, the impact of that here? Well, in Delaware, um, unlike a lot of other states that were sort of caught off guard and didn't know what to do and how to catch up and things of that nature, um, I anticipated the uh, movement coming to Delaware over a year before it did and uh, was fortunate to be part of that transition with some of the leaders in the LGBTQ community that sort of spearheaded and led that fight um, because it required massive changes in the Delaware Code 
that also affected family court code mm. and a number of other things. Uh, so um, from the very first step out of the gate, our office was part of that process. Uh, even little things like the old marriage licenses used to say bride and groom. Mm. Yeah. And then in other areas it would say, and he said, or she said, and little things like that. So um, it it wasn't a quick, easy fix. That battle was uh, over two years just to get to the point where there were civil unions. And then there was another transition from that point to where we again had to address all those same issues towards same-sex marriages. So now in Delaware, marriage is marriage. It's not about same-sex or opposite sex or what the, what the uh, race is and things of that nature. It, it's marriage. Every single couple has the identical marriage license. Mm. Every single couple gets the identical same marriage ceremony. Mm -hmm. There is no difference whatsoever. What was it like? I mean, being a part of that transition process then, what were those, those first days like? Well, I married the very first same-sex couple, and I did the very, a lot of other significant ones there afterwards. Um, you have to remember, by the time that took place, uh, having gone through the, the legislative process for civil union, and then to where we could do same-sex uh, marriages. That, was, um, that wasn't a month. That, that were years getting to that point. So uh, the truth is it was a celebration. It was a celebration because I came to know um, many people in that very diverse community who I'm still very close with and love dearly. So I, 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 at some point in that process, I got it. I understood. It made sense to me where I came into it sort of blind. I didn't even have an opinion either for or against or my own personal views and preferences and things. It, it just wasn't something that I had ever addressed. I was just too busy doing my job where then it became my job. And the stories that I heard and the things that I saw and um, to give you one example out of the thousands Two elderly gentlemen came from Florida mm. to be married in my office. They were both in their late 70s and early 80s. They had been together for 50 years mm. as a couple. And if one of them got sick, the other one couldn't even go into the hospital room as family. Sure. So this was so important to them because one was not in real good health. And they shared their stories. And one of them, I can't even give you their names, but one of them is a very prominent, very uh, successful, wealthy fashion designer who is no longer with us. Mm -hmm. But things like that, professional athletes, and I can't give you their names either, but came in together, both males and females, who people at that time would have never guessed. Mm -hmm. Police officers from other jurisdictions who couldn't be married in their jurisdiction because the law didn't allow it or they weren't comfortable hmm. coming out there. So it was, um, it was a remarkable uh, experience over time that uh, I was fortunate enough to share with those people. That's awesome. Yeah, and, you know, especially from, from the athletic standpoint, you know, it's, 
it, it, I think that's an issue where, you know, you had Michael Sam was the first openly uh, gay athlete in the NFL, but obviously there have been gay athletes in the NFL, just Correct. not. Correct. You know, and, and then when, you know, Elena Deladon came out, you know, that was a big thing because I don't know if maybe there was, but I don't know if there was an openly gay woman in the WNBA, but obviously there's, this isn't a new thing, right? This has happened forever. So, you know, to to have to conceal that um, just to be with the person that you love, I mean, obviously that's that's got to be tough. And there have been a number of other people of celebrity status mm. who have uh, came in through our doors asking for uh, um, us to protect their identity and uh, moving forward to do that. It used to be a law in Delaware where people uh, got married, had to publish Right. In the newspaper, uh, one of the first things we did was um, amended the code to do away with that. Mm. It also caused problems because people uh, who were going for second marriages, mm -hmm. their former spouse might see that, and it set off an awful lot of problems for them. So, uh, um, and th threatening physical harm and sure. a lot of other things. So, uh, because I had their names and address and everything mm. in there, so uh, we did away with that also. And in some in some states, I guess divorce records are published or public. I mean, I can remember when I think when Jack White split with, you know, what everybody I think for the longest time thought was his sister, but turned out to it was his wife in in the White Stripes. Thing. that was all in you know in Nashville. You had, that was a public public thing. It was public record. Is that in Delaware or do, the same way? Well, I can tell you, marriage records um, are sealed now. So uh, if you get married in Delaware, that marriage record is going to be sealed for 40 years. I'm about to introduce legislation extending it another 10 years because our lifetime is, ex is now longer. Sure. So those sorts of protections we're going to be giving, um, taking to the General Assembly, hopefully within their next session. But, and then on divorce, is divorce public record or is that also sealed? There it really depends, mm, okay. um, but f f in especially if there's a child involved in any way, then they're going to be sealed. I gotcha, gotcha. Well, uh, we've talked about a lot. I can't believe it's been like 40 minutes already, but I mean, is there, are there any, I mean, like you've got all these stories. Are there any other stories that you really want to? Well, I could probably go on through the evening and, you know, all night to tell you some of the stories. Uh, uh, it's just a fascinating place like no other office in county government to work. We never know who's going to come through the door. We never know for sure what that day is going to bring. Probably the one thing that you should know is that uh, Delaware, because of an effort that my office, I started uh, a number of years ago back in uh, uh, 2010, is now the only state in the nation where you must be of the legal age majority, which is 18, to mm. be, get a marriage license. We're not only the first state, we are the only state in the nation to have that. Um, that's primarily because early in my career, I was marrying little girls to much older men who were 14 or 15 years old with child, and um, where parents were signing, giving permissions for these um, young ladies to uh, marry men who were much older. Um, and that's been, that's been, I've seen that in the news, and I've seen it coming up in, in pop culture. It's become like the subject of some crime shows and some, some other, you know, dramas where, you know, this is, um, you know, this is obviously <laughs> a 12-year-old girl or whatever. And, and I've seen people, even some activist groups, you know, they'll stage something on the street. Well, they'll right. 
you know, stage a public wedding between a 12-year-old and a 40-year-old, and you watch the public reaction to it. People say, this is, this is wrong, and then they show, well, it's legal here. Well, I can tell you this. It's, it was very troubling personally for me to be involved in those. Um, I, I actually had some of those grooms arrested mm. in my office. Um, took place in their prosecution. Um, and quite frankly, extradition to other countries because it was largely a cultural thing that mm. I had learned about. It's now a major issue in uh, sex trafficking. Sure. I'm part of a, a task force that addresses that. Um, this morning before I came here, I got a call from the BBC who's doing a documentary who wanted to talk to me about uh, being on the forefront of that battle. Um, also, I, that task force I was talking about involves uh, um, people from the f a number of federal agencies and uh, people who um, are active in uh, my other peers across the United States to deal with uh, marriage. Now, it, it wasn't an easy battle here in Delaware. We started just by saying that you couldn't be married unless you're 18. However, and then there was caveats such as unless. Mm -hmm. And then, there were, but we whittled away at those and it came down to the point where unless a family court judge mm -hmm. thought it was in the best interest of all parties involved, whether it be an unborn child or whether it be the groom or the father or the mother or whatever. And that uh, scaled it down dramatically in the state of Delaware. Instead of doing two or three or four a month, mm. it was like four a year. It was that high, like three oh, or yes. four a month. In my office alone, not wow. counting Kent and Sussex. And, uh, and, we're, and we're talking like in the last couple of years. Well, no. Like before that passed. Yeah. So then um, that narrowed out considerably. And then uh, through um, the wisdom of some very uh, um, committed legislators and leadership, um, that law took out all the caveats or no more, mm. which basically means that if either party is under 18 years of age, you're not going to get a marriage license in Delaware. And so you know now, apparently the whole idea is catching on because I have uh, been requested to... Uh, meet and talk with uh, my peers in a number of other jurisdictions and counties and state across this nation, finding out how in the world did you ever get this passed? How did it happen? What was that journey like for you? And if we were bold enough to try to address something like that, where do we begin and how do we start? What can we expect to see along the way? But for right now, we are still the only state in the nation mm -hmm. where unless you're 18 years of age, no matter what the circumstances, you're not going to get a marriage license in Delaware. It, that's really amazing to me because it seems like such a common sense thing that children shouldn't be getting married, especially to grown adults, uh, but that not only are we the only state that, that has that, but that it would be an issue to get it in other states, and you would have to fight for that. Well, when you start bringing in cultural mores and uh, religious beliefs and piling all that together somehow somewhere along the line common sense sort of got overshadowed or pushed to the back burner mm. where we were successful in just when after they heard what the numbers were after they heard what happened to some of the young brides and what happened to and I, I have to be honest with you not all of those young people were brides some were young men mm. and now the whole equation becomes more 
complex because some of the more recent ones when we you were still able to uh, involved uh, same-sex mm. applicants and that brought in a whole different set of arguments and, and things of that nature. But as it stands, it's cut and dry in Delaware. If you're in love and you want to get married, I don't care who you want to marry. If they're over 18 and you're over 18, it can happen. And it's that simple. I, I think that's, that's a good way to do it. Uh, the Honorable Ken Bolden, thank you for joining us uh, on the on podcasting, the first, first podcast we've done. Uh, I think it's gone really well. I, I, I can't thank you enough for joining us. Uh, we'd like to invite you or, or any of uh, your listeners to uh, have any questions. Just call our office. You want to stop in for a visit? You can do that. If you have any questions about what you need for a marriage license or anything else, um, give us a call. Stop in visit and uh, make yourself comfortable. Sit down and watch the show. Awesome. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Bye-bye. that that's that's our first podcast in the books uh ken bolden you just heard some of the great stories he has uh and now we're going to go through we're going to make sure we didn't put any absolute falsehoods out there in the universe sam how do we do you guys actually did really well um i think ken was extremely uh articulate with his uh, explanation of what his job duties are um i mean he like he said he's done thousands of weddings so um Kind of hard to fact check a guy that's, you know, lived this life for decades. Uh, but you said that Elena Deladon was the first uh, openly gay WNBA player when, in fact, it was Cheryl Swoops of the Houston Comets back in 2006. Now, can you tell me if the Houston Comets are still in the WNBA? That I cannot tell you. <laughs> that does not sound like that is a current WNBA team. Um, I do not know enough about the WNBA to, 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 I mean, I know enough about the Washington Mystics and the Chicago Sky from Elena Deladon having played on both of those squads, but I do not know if that is a current or former uh, team, but I certainly know who Cheryl Swoops is, so that is my bad for missing that one. Uh, they disbanded in 2008. 2008, so they have not been a team for some time. No, but it still means you're wrong. I am still <laughs> wrong. Just a curiosity more than, more than anything. So how else did we do otherwise? Um, you know, I, I, I checked on a, you know, just a couple things you guys were talking about from, you know, Delaware being the first state to um, uh, make it illegal for minors to marry under 18 with no uh, exemptions. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of just started to dig into some of the topics that you guys were talking about a little more. Um, and I, I found it fairly interesting that, um, so a week after that, Delaware, um, created the law that you must be 18 to marry with no exemptions, uh, New Hampshire actually raised their minimum marriage age from 13 to 16. If you can actually, like this, uh, so when I, I started looking into this, and I'm just like, I was just amazed at how many states have um, very low minimum marriage ages. Uh, and I saw about 75 to 80% of those marriages are women underage to older men. Um, like Ken said, he said, you know, he married multiple people who were like 14, 15 years older than the girl that they're marrying, which is uh, kind of scary to think about that 
even in today, we're, 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 that's still a, a topic that, that is under scrutiny. Um, and it even says uh, that they tried to raise, New Hampshire tried to raise it to 18, and that got shut down immediately. And, but the 13 to 16 passed through. So um, there, there was only, th- from also what I found, there's only 38 states that um, keep marriage records like regularly. So some of the other ones are, are tough to, uh, to track. But it, uh, more than 167,000 children were married between 2000 and 2010. That is absolutely stunning. Yeah. I mean, I, I knew it was a thing, and I think we talked about it in the podcast, too. Where, you know, it's, it's come up in kind of pop culture and in dramas and in crime shows um, of, of late because I think this issue is finally starting to get some attention, but I had no idea it was that prevalent. And I think he said he did, what, like three or four a month. Like, it was – so to the tune of, like, 40 to 50 a year in Delaware he was doing. Um, and so we're talking, you know, that's just in Newcastle County. That's just him. And, you know, uh, what, what did you say, 160? 167,000. 167,000 across ten, the country. a 10-year span. In a 10-year span for the states that we know that track it. Only 38 out of 50 states have had marriage records long enough to track that. Kind so of that is that is absolutely stunning. Um, so, I mean, you know, I, I can't believe that a state has had, that New Hampshire, you know, and Delaware, or any state that doesn't have, that kind of statute has had to fight for it, let alone doesn't have it. But that is, um, yeah, definitely one of the bigger things that I learned out of that podcast, <laughs> out of that interview. Uh, another thing you got, you mentioned early in the podcast was the 1950s divorce rate mm. uh, and the stigma around divorce in the 50s. Mm-hmm. So I found a website called 50sweb.com. Oh, my. That sounds like the authority <laughs> on all things 1950s. I can't question it. Um so back in the 50s, so I was looking at divorce races, uh, sorry, divorce, uh, what do I even want to say? Statistics? That? Statistics. Rates. Divorce rates. rates. The rate, there we yeah. go. <laughs> um, so in 1950, only 9.3% of homes had single occupants. Uh, so, you know, divorce family, single, um, single parent households. And today the number is hovering over 25%. Mm. So even if... Yet, yet today, I, I've I've also been looking up that millennials and our generation has had the lowest per capita divorce rate uh, compared to these this baby boomers era. Mm. So I think that you were correct in saying that the stigma was was very high back then, and that there were probably a ton of people in marriages that should have been divorced, but because of how the religion or you know whatever outside factors. Um, kind of kept them together because they didn't want to be shunned by, like, the outside world, even though the people shunning them probably were in unhappy marriages. Mm. <laughs> well, and I think, too, probably, you know, if you look at the, the, the power that women have had and the role that women have had in society over the last 75 years, you know, the, the, you know now, especially now in the, in the Me Too movement and in the, you know, kind of Time's Up movement, uh, time where, you know, we're one state away from the Equal Rights Amendment passing, we're... We're at a point where women have, I think, probably the largest voice that they've had uh, ever. You know, back in the 50s, that certainly did not exist. If, if you wanted a divorce, it was going to be very hard for you uh, to achieve it. And, you know, now I don't think that that same, I mean, certainly there's barriers to it, but it's no way in the way that it was in the 50s. Everyone's favorite show, Teen Mom. Mm. <laughs> so that, those type of shows kind of, 
make you think that teenage pregnancies and everything have been up um, over the 2000s, or at least for our generation. But in fact, mm. uh, the birth rate for U.S. teenagers in 2000 was 48.7 births per 1,000 women aged 15 to 19 years, which is the lowest ever reported in the nation. In 1957, the rate was 96.3 per 1,000, which was about double this current level. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty pretty close to double. So, and I think even then too, probably goes back to the the family structures of you know um, probably fewer women going into higher education into the workforce. You know, the expectation of being a stay at home mom or whatever. You know, this is your job to have kids and raise them. Uh, certainly, that mentality has changed, and rightly so. That you know, women are are more focused on on their careers and and moving forward in life than you know, oh, well, time to pop out a baby. You know, yeah. that, that that mentality of, like, that's your role is certainly gone through the, the largest swath of society. I'm sure it exists in some corners, but... Yeah, and in, in the range of the same kind of statistics is that the median age for first marriage was 23 for men and 20 for women in 1950. Mm. And in 2000, the median age for men was 27 and females were 25. Mm. And, I mean, that, that's a statistic from twenty almost 20 years ago. So you can imagine today... Um, uh, uh, also, looking into this, this kind of you know, since you and I are kind of in the, you're on the top of the millennial stage, and I'm kind of old millennial. Maybe I don't know. Am I middle, gen- middle millennial? <laughs> am I Gen X? I don't even know. No, you're definitely you Gen X. You have to be older than I am. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Or gen Z. What is it? I don't know. What are, it doesn't. It's, it's it all really, millennial. Any, yeah. Anybody over uh, fifty, it's if, all millennial. <laughs> if, if you if you annoy people who are sixty or older, you're a millennial. It's just a nice word to say. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think, uh, from at least what I was looking at, that um, younger couples are actually smarter now because they 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 care about their finances mm. and they care they they it's showing that uh, people I'm I'm 25 for anybody listening out there uh, people my age are actually um, preparing financially and making sure that that stuff is set before they get married. While I think before um, you got married, then figured it out. Mm. And also the divorce rates, the same thing is that because of things like the internet and everything, people being very open about their beliefs and their interests is that you don't have to hide that kind of stuff. Like you can find somebody who, who likes the same things as you. And that's why that stuff is lasting. Well, and I think too, you know, I'd, I'd be curious to kind of look at what the economic factors were in the fifties, because, you know, like you said, people are being more uh, economically conscious, you know, now they're, they're, um, but I think, probably out of necessity, you know, our, our generation is looking at kind of the slowest wage growth that we've seen in decades, uh, maybe maybe since the late 50s, 60s, 70s. There's another fact to on the fly fact check. But uh, but certainly now, you know, if you're if you're, um, you know, in your late 20s, 30s, you know, you're at that time where you'd be getting married, having kids for the first time that. Um, you know, that generation, that, that group of people, you know, we're saddled with the most college debt that anyone's ever had. Um, you know, the economy is moving up now, but there is a, a pretty sizable gap between, you know, the, the million and a half or more jobs that are out there and the, you know, number of people who are looking for jobs and what their skill sets are. Um, so it's definitely, you know, if you're going to have a kid and then you look at the future cost of having a kid, whether it's, you know, health care and saving for college or college. trade school or whatever... You know, it's the student debt. <laughs> student student debt. I mean, you would know, right? Like, I know that when I came out of college, I had close to fifty thousand dollars in student debt. And if you think, okay, well, by the if you know, if I'm coming out of college and I'm going to have a kid in twenty years, what's that kid going to have in student debt? 
you know, you would hope at some point in 20 years we've come up with some plan for this and that college is not exponentially growing in cost, but it certainly has been. And you got to think, okay, well, if I came out with 50, they might come out with 200 for the same degree. Who knows? I would hope not. I hope, you know, if I have kids that they don't go spend $200,000 on a communications degree because they'd be crazy people. <laughs> um, but then again, my, my parents thought I was a crazy person for doing the same thing. So, uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, I guess, I, and just kind of tying this back into Delaware uh, weddings, since this is the topic of the day. Um, do you know how? So this is a this is a survey from a uh, website called thenot.com. Mm, yeah. Um, from 2015. Do you do you want to take a guess at what the average Delaware wedding in 2015 costs? So the average wedding in Delaware in 2015, interesting because I wonder if they're factoring the number of weddings that that people just kind of show up at the clerk's office mm-hmm. to get married. Or, or I'm guessing these are these are venue weddings. Venue weddings. So I know you know our budget in 2012 was ten thousand dollars. So I'm gonna say ten thousand uh, dollars. It was forty five thousand dollars overall expenses. It for for a wedding average cost for Delaware weddings that. And that was that was three years ago, so it might have even gone up. <laughs> That's insane. The uh, average venue price was twenty one thousand five hundred eighty three dollars, and um, it cost two hundred sixty dollars per guest. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. I think our budget was was a hundred dollars a guest, and I think that was what we originally invited was a hundred guests, but I don't think we had quite that much. But holy. Holy, okay, look, kids, let me tell <laughs> I, you. Well, I, there's a caveat here as I read further down this paragraph. <laughs> that was the shocking number. Maybe read the whole thing first. <laughs> um, I mean, that is the, truly the average. Wow. Um, but more than 70% of those couples spent less than 20 grand. Mm. So they're they're the very high end are really pulling that average mm. up. So, so I, there's a couple hundred thousand dollar weddings that are elevating yeah, that. Yeah, I, I would say I would say it's closer to like twenty five thirty thousand would be the average these That's days. That's okay, kids. Let me let me share some wisdom <laughs> here for you, because I don't think it's gone up that much in the last six years. You can have a wedding on a mountainside in British Columbia for ten thousand dollars. <laughs> okay, and that's ten thousand dollars Canadian. Which is like that's more than America. Yeah, that's, yeah, a... that's like seven dollars American <laughs> money. It's more than that. It's like seven thousand dollars American money. But still, do not spend <laughs> over forty thousand dollars to get married in Delaware. That is absolutely crazy. Holy cow! Yeah. Any other uh, any other fun ones in there? Uh, I believe that. Yeah, that's about it. Uh, the only other thing I was looking into was no-fault divorces, but um, like Ken said, they, uh, that is a nationwide thing now. Is that mm. You can just get divorced. You don't have to explain it. You can just not like each other. You can just be like, <laughs> look, uh, his feet smell, and, I, and I'm tired of it, and I'm out. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, also, and so Delaware is the only state with a clerk of the peace. That is correct and confirmed. Wow, confirmed it. So check that out. Uh, one more thing for the first state to claim as a point of pride, if you're if you're and it, and it look, I mean, it's got to be a piece of bar trivia somewhere. <laughs> you know, we got to get that out there in the ether. That's got to be. And now you know Delaware is the only, or yeah, the first first and only state since it just happened in the spring this year to uh, officially make eighteen the legal age of marriage, oh. and no exceptions underneath, which. That that could be a policy which we see kind of 
slowly sweeping across the nation in the next couple of years. I, I would, it just, it's, it seems like something that would be very simple to fix, but, um, at least from what I was looking at, a lot of it has to do with religion mm. and, um, parental consent and mm-hmm. things like that. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, like uh, the majority of them were underage women marrying men who were five to 10 years, their elders. Yeah. I, uh, I really can't believe that that's a contentious issue in places. But then again, there's nothing that's not a nope. contentious issue in some places. Yep. Awesome. Well, uh, that's that's a wrap on the first first Newcastle County Pod County podcast. Thanks for joining. Us.